This is the Reset MD podcast. We welcome you to join in on our conversations with fellow physicians. Many of us in medicine reach a point in our careers where we want to make a change, hit a reset button. Wouldn't it be nice to have some guidance from colleagues who'd been there too and have pearls of wisdom to share? These well-being conversations will cover a range of topics, thriving in medicine, physician health, burnout prevention, work-life integration, practice optimization, advocacy, and support. And we'll just have some fun doing it. Listen in and start your reset. Welcome back to the Reset MD podcast. I'm Dr. Marion McCrary, and today I have the honor of speaking with Dr. Tammy Chang. Dr. Chang is a board certified physician in pediatric hematology oncology, practicing in Tacoma, Washington. And she's also the medical director of provider wellness there for MultiCare Health System. And you may have heard of her as the co-founder and co-CEO of Pink Coat MD. That's a platform to support and empower the personal and professional success of all women physicians. And I met her in her role as the director of AMWA, which is the American Medical Women's Association's program called Elevate, which is a leadership program for attending women physicians. So I'm so honored to talk to you today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Marianne. Dr. McCrary. <laughs> we can go with first names. So. We can do first names today. We do first names today. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know about Dr. Chang, but <laughs> we're yeah. informal here. This is uh, as we're recording this on a Sunday morning. We're just uh, taking it easy. We talked a little bit before we started recording about this podcast, and our goal with it is to have just conversations with folks, physicians who have maybe done something a little bit different um, in their career. They've made some pivots or changes along the way. We call them resets. And it's led to a place for wellness for them. And now they're wanting to share it with other people. And when I thought about who do we want to have on this podcast, you were one of the folks at the top of my list because I know that's a goal for you as well. And I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about you beyond what we just discussed um, at the beginning and talk about what your resets have been along the way that have really helped you get to the wellness that you have today. Oh, of course. Thank you, Marion. It's just, um, it's such a, just a treat and a pleasure and an honor to get to, to be here with you. And I, I love what you and your colleagues are doing with this podcast and, and just all the work that you're doing to amplify and share these stories. Because um, I think what by sharing these stories, what's so powerful is that we recognize that when we hear them, we're not alone. And that's the whole point of all of this because there are so many common and sometimes even universal experiences that we have as physicians, no matter what specialty we're in or what our backgrounds are and same kinds of challenges that we face. So I, I share my story very openly. I think I've shared it with you before, um, but I share it openly because when I do, um, I, I usually hear from many people that they've had a similar experience. And I do it so that to give people the permission and the courage to also share their stories because I know I'm not alone. And um, 
And so I think a lot of us who've had this sort of reset story have had our own personal burnout story um, of we've really hit rock bottom and had to really build ourselves up and find a new way forward. And so I share the story really openly. And it was, it was actually, I'm uh, almost eight years out of training now. So been around a little bit, but not, not forever. Hopefully I'll be here for a very long time. <laughs> um, and so it was about four years into being an attending and we really hit just a period of um, just tremendous stress, understaffed um, trauma in our group. I, I was already practicing it in my current community practice role. I was no longer at St. Jude anymore. We're in a big academic place. Um, and we had multiple, we're a small group, there's four physicians. Um, we have, we had, it's just a period of both um, personal and patient um, deaths, um, particularly around cancer. And we take care of kids with cancer and that's all we do all day. And so we had multiple members of our team going through chemo at that time. We had multiple members of our team whose parents or loved ones got diagnosed with end-stage cancer. My colleague who is our medical director and my dear friend, um, his own daughter got diagnosed with breast cancer, then ultimately died. You know, um, we had also at the same time record numbers of new patient diagnoses, oncology patient, like kids with cancer. Um, we had multiple, um, really, it was just, I think our population was really booming in the area at the time. And it was like the perfect storm of all these factors. So we had like more new cancer diagnoses than we'd ever had in the history of our hospital, um, plus relapses and deaths of our own patients, which is already so hard for us because we love them so much and um <clears throat> and then you know it's just a combination of all those things and um you know my other partner also got diagnosed with a type of a different type of cancer too so it was like all at the same time it was it was so hard and I think I was um, and I still feel pretty young but at the time I was even younger <laughs> and didn't have a whole lot of leadership experience right and <clears throat> excuse me and um really took it all on because as medical students as interns, residents, fellows, all the way up, you know, we take it all on. It's always our responsibility. I and mean, it's like, the, there's no really buck stops anywhere. It's like all the, the crap rolls to you, you know? <laughs> it's like, when you're at the bottom of the heap, you just keep working, right? And all you know how to, all we know how to do in medicine up till this point, um, often for many of us, is just to keep working, working harder. And so that's what I did. And I ultimately hit such a low point. Um, you know, I hadn't slept in really months where it's working every other week and weekend on call. We have a 24 seven service, um, you know, not sleeping on call all the time. It was, we were down to two physicians out of four. You know, it was, it was not unlike what like a lot of people are experiencing right now at this point in the pandemic, except it's been kind of spread out over a longer period of time. And so I finally just really hit rock bottom. Um, you know, I started dreaming about what I could do so I wouldn't have to work anymore you know, all the way from what could I do so I could get in a coma or hurt myself enough so that I wouldn't be, you know, I could just be asleep for like months in a coma and an ICU somewhere, or maybe just not even be alive anymore. And I started dreaming about what could I do? You know, could I just drive off a cliff? Could I jump off a bridge? <laughs> How could I get some medications? How could I, whatever. And these were all the thoughts running through my head for quite a period of time. And then I finally, really at one point driving home from work over the weekend, you know, I almost drove off a cliff and that, I'm thankful that um, I didn't, obviously I'm here today and I'm doing great and awesome, but it was such an important wake up call for me. Um, and everything about my life and everything what I do now has come out of that, that time and space. Um, and to the point where I am so on fire and just driven to do anything I can do to be a part of how do we make this better for all of us, you know, in medicine, how do, I don't want a single 
another colleague or another physician or a friend or anyone, a friend of a friend, right, to go through something like that. And it, it, all along the way, I could have asked for help. I could have just put up the white flag and said, I, I can't do this anymore. We really have to hire locums, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't. I just kept going, right? Because I didn't know any other way. And it was looked down upon to ask for help. At least that's what was um, subconsciously um, sort of uh, instilled along the way. And so now so much of what I do is really, you know, I share my personal story because that is my personal connection. It's my why, my why with the capital W of why I do all this work. Um, I, I want other people to feel that they can ask for help and not only ask for it, but receive it. And that that is strength. That's not a weakness. Um, and, and I want to be part, my, my deeper why is really to help change the culture of medicine. I want a healthier and brighter future for all of us in medicine now. I want it for our next generation. I want it for our kids. You know, I want it, you know, 50 years from now, like that's my dream. Like how, what could we, what can we do right now to make this better every little step of the way to where we're really in a place where our own kids and our grandkids are thriving in medicine in a way that we haven't been able to be. That's such a powerful why for you and for, as you say, generations of people and not just physicians, but all the lives that they touch and starting with just one person and helping them know that they're not alone, that they're not stuck, that there's a way out of this and that it's okay to ask for help and whatever that may be, whatever that may be. Yeah. And as you found yourself, you know, making changes, whether that was to raise the white flag, whether that was to reach out to a colleague or talk with someone, what helped you continue to move that forward so that you were going away from that place that was so dark for you? I really do think um, I owe a lot to my now co-founder and one of my dearest longtime friends, Louisa Duran, for when we do a pink coat MD together, we actually, um, have been close friends since we were uh, freshmen in college at Brown. We were in the eight-year medical program. So we were on four years of Brown and four years of college, uh, yeah, college and medical school together. Um, but I really, she was the, you know, I have many friends along the way and who were absolutely understanding, sympathetic. Um, and, but it was when I connected with her, there was just a spark that really, um, it just happened. I think there was just such a depth of empathy and understanding and also disbelief that one of her closest friends who she's known me since we were kids right and I've always been a fully joyful like lots of I'm like a lap I'm like a have a good time kind of person and so clearly I was not okay and um, I think that to her galvanized both of us because she too had had a very difficult situation around the same time but we hadn't been in touch for years so I think honestly it was connecting with a, a safe space, a safe, a, a trusted friend who created really just safe space for me to share what was really going on um, to where, and then we began to sit, we sat with it and then think about, well, what could we do? You know, what can we do so that no one else has to go through this? And it, I think that was the spark for what we wanted to create because we, what we just really wanted to create a safe space where people felt they could just be vulnerable and honest and not judged and just loved unconditionally because that, that kind of space doesn't exist in our current medical world today. Yeah. Yeah. Once you were able to find that like-minded person, there were many more behind that person, but 
But as you came out of that thinking, you know, how can we help other people? And that's the theme that I hear from you is, is we want to make this space available to individuals so they can be themselves and they can explore what they're thinking and, and, and what they're feeling and to go from there and create some type of community as well. Yeah, we all need that. You know, I think you're a well-being expert as well. And I, uh, I spend a lot of time now in my, my medical director role, just really educating and helping people understand what it takes to be well. And, you know, it's one of the five components is, is that sort of community social well-being, right? We all need that yeah. for human beings. Yeah. And that well is not the absence of burnout. I was recently looking at that um, again, and that, you know, just surviving is not wellness and how can you move past that and actually be thriving the, and, and thinking about what steps do I have to take to get there? And for you, as you've have kind of recreated these things that you're passionate about and that you're exploring with other people for your day-to-day right now, what sustains that wellness for you beyond those close relationships that helped you earlier? Oh, sure. It's, um, it's really basic. (laughs) I tried to follow the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, which I didn't know what it was until two years ago. And now I'm like such a fan. I'm trying to be plant-based, but I'm more like plant forward because it's hard. I'm I'm such a carnivore. So I'm trying, but, um, but I'm working on it, but the basics are very simple and there's so much data behind it. Just the basics of the sleep, you know, especially medicine, we have lived with disordered and disrupted sleep for so long. We don't even know what it's like to get a good night of sleep. And so I, I really prioritize my sleep now. It's seven to eight minimum hours. I try not to go beyond nine because apparently that's associated with dementia. So, okay, I don't, we'll try not to get dementia someday. But anyways, learning. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be new data by the time I get to that age, hopefully. But, um, you know, the sleep, exercise every day. Yeah, I just came from working out because I was like, I gotta exercise. You just ran this morning. You know, that's a priority. Um, eating well. You know, I, I don't drink much alcohol or eat much stuff that's junk anymore because I just don't feel as good and I want to be the best version of me. So eating healthy food, moving, um, meditation and, and and my own my own version of stress reduction every day. I do meditate every day and try to play the piano and write a little bit every day because that just sort of keeps me grounded and centered. I do love yoga. And I, I know not everyone loves yoga, but I, I find that just the combination of movement and breathing and centering really just helps me. So it's those things. I think I'm missing another pillar, but I avoid risky substances. I think I don't really do that anyway. So <laughs> I don't really like how I feel with alcohol. So I just don't that much. <laughs> yeah. And as you said, just going back to the basics, um, which some people will say, oh, I've heard that over and over again. Mm-hmm. But when you realize what actually gives you energy and when you do it or don't do it, you know, that continues to feed you, whether it be sleep or what you eat or don't eat or take into your body and how you, how you stretch your mind um, or calm your mind, I think in different ways is really important. Yeah. We also have our own dog therapy right at home, you and I, so we're lucky in that way. We get 24 seven puppy therapy, <laughs> which I think is like the best joy ever. <laughs> I agree. I definitely. And as we talk, they're both being, they're all being quiet. I have one, you have many. <laughs> Put them outside. <laughs> like you guys are outside just for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as you have gone into this role with your um, health system, 
kind of bringing in your own personal um, pillars for wellness and living this yourself. What have you seen as the challenges of taking this from a personal charge to an institution um, and, and moving forward with some of the things that may expand that beyond yourself? You know, what I've actually been just so deeply moved and um, grateful for is just how supportive our system is. I mean, I, I do think that they are champions of this work and they created my role um, when they needed to. And the person, the woman I report to is just amazing. And um, we report to a really great set of people at the high, high level. So it's, um, I don't feel there's been challenges in that way, amazingly, from an organizational support and financial standpoint. Um, I, I think, and it, I was expecting to have more resistance as I went around and I've spent a lot of time and I've only been in this role five, six months now. So it's early, but I've spent a lot of time just connecting, like really trying to be just one-on-one small group grassroots, like let's just connect. It's all been virtual because of COVID, but in many ways it's helped because we're spread our system as hospitals across the state of Washington. And so I've been able to connect with people across the state in a, hopefully a personal way. Um, and begin to just share. I, I'm very open about my story because I, I want them to feel like they can share theirs with me, even if they don't, they want with others, they at least feel like there's one other person who understands where, or something of what they've been through or going through. Um, and so I, I hope that by making that personal connection, it's starting to change the culture. And I, I already see, see bits and pieces that it is. Um, so I'm deeply grateful. And, um, you know, we, no, we can't change it overnight. I think what's the biggest challenge is just, you know, how do we fix this problem with the systems that we have? And that's a challenge that we're all facing across at least our, our country in this, in this country with the systems that we have and the limitations we have. And so I spend a, I spend a lot of time in which I know you're familiar with this, all this stuff outside. I mean, there's incredible work going on out there by lots of people. Um, and I've spent a lot of time learning and reading and um, and continue to learn every day. And how do we bring evidence-based um, resources and then create a real true foundation for wellness and help, helping to really be part of shaping that culture over the long-term? You know, it's not gonna happen overnight. It's gonna take many years. Yeah, just taking it a day at a time. And as you say, like a conversation at a time where you listen mm -hmm. and you connect and whether there's a peer support a need at that point or whether it's just, you know, someone else hearing you and realizing the value of it. And it's wonderful to hear that there is support from um, the bigger institution that really helps, helps facilitate this for you. Yeah, I feel so grateful for our, my colleagues in our system, my fellow providers, um, that we can hopefully continue to grow, expand that over time for everybody. Yeah, and I think in, our, in roles that you and I have in societies and kind of bigger institutions, it, again, it just takes kind of having these conversations and working with someone, they go work somewhere else, they take this with them. It, as you said, it just kind of dominoes and it takes time, but eventually we can share this culture and hopefully transform the culture around wellness and what physicians need and what other healthcare workers need. It's not just about physicians Everybody. to really take care of themselves and to take care of patients. Exactly. Well, this is just like this podcast, what you're doing. It's another piece, right? It's another piece that, that can have a piece. ripple effect for others. Well, I really appreciate you sharing um, 
your story with us and the continued story. And I know a lot of people will look forward to seeing how, how that continues to grow for you and me and for, for everyone. And as we finish up, we like to like to have a little fun here on the podcast. Okay, and I have a feel <laughs> <laughs> like you're on Brene, Brene Brown's podcast. Oh my goodness. Here. Oh, she does do that at the end of her podcast. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> we, we're borrowing that a little bit. But one I know from previous conversations with you um, is that you love to read books. And I would love for you to give some advice to our listeners. Uh, maybe some of the most recent books that you've read that have really been um, powerful for you that you would recommend to others? Oh, I mean, there's so many to pick from. It's hard to pick. Um, I, well, this is not a recent book. I'll just share one briefly for the the ladies in the audience. So Playing Big, if you haven't read it by Tara Moore, M-O-H-R, it's, it's actually what inspired me to want to become a coach. And then ultimately that's how Marion and I met as co-coaches. So, um, but it's, it's truly, I think it's a beautiful read. It's a quick read. Um, it helps us explore that whole inner world. And a lot of what we struggle with as women, I do feel it should be required reading for every woman and every young woman and every girl. Like I, I seriously, if I had a teenage daughter, I would give it to her. Cause I so needed to hear this when I was 15 or 14. And every year between then and now. <laughs> so I love that one. I share that with, I actually give that as a copy to all my friends and um, all of my clients too, because I just love it. Um, the other one, actually, I've been reading Ikigai recently. Um, it's about the Japanese, um, it's that, you know, that's that, that central space of passion and purpose and mission, but also having, um, making a living. It's like this, like that little sweet spot in the middle. And this is like, you know, the secret to how the Okinawans, which is one of the, the five blue zones in the world, they lived 102, right? Cause they have this deep sense of purpose community. They don't, no one really retires. Like, and I, I love that. I love that concept because I, I feel that way too. Like I, if we're really truly doing stuff that feeds us and we love, and we don't have to make a living from it anymore. Like what we're not really retiring. I don't want to just go with her. And I don't know, I, I need, we all need purpose at whatever stage of life we're in. And so I'm really loving that because my husband's also reading this book on, um, it's like um, Sanjay Gupta's book on, I think it's like staying sharp or something. Anyways, so we're, we have lots of great conversations at home. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but um, my husband still has the book from the library. So I, I get it when he's done, <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, I'm reading Ikigai and he's reading that right now. And we're just, it's really sparking a lot of wonderful conversation about, you know, what do we want the second half of our lives to look like? Um, do we what's the, what's our purpose, you know, until the day we are no longer here on the earth. So that's, we love talking about that kind of stuff. I love that. Um, with the, um, the book, um, from Japan makes me think as you're talking about it, it's kind of that little sweet spot in the middle of all those circles that you're like, where everything kind of comes into place. And so it's your, you do it because you love it because somebody pays you for it because it has an impact because it gives you energy. And so you're, you're looking at how to, how to kind of live in that space and stay there and support yourself as well as others in that way. It's the place where we can most find flow. Yes. Oh gosh. We could have a whole nother conversation on I flow. Think That's an hour long conversation. On flow. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be back folks. Okay. We'll have another <laughs> one on that Wednesday. <laughs> Well, as, as we finish up, um, I love to give, as we all do in medicine, pearls to the folks that we're talking to or our, our trainees or our colleagues. And so to sum up some of the things that you've talked about and maybe introduce some new ones, 
what would be three pearls that you would give our listeners on how to find that wellness, that thriving, that sense of where you want to be in your personal and professional lives? You know, the first one that comes to mind, it's um, you can't really begin to even survive really till you do this and then not let alone thrive. But I, I do think we have to all put our own oxygen masks on first. And it's a really powerful image. We've all been on planes. We've all watched the little safety video, right? Um, we also obviously know about the importance of oxygen as physicians. You know, we're not going to be conscious much longer if we don't have it on. And if we're not taking care of ourselves first, we can't take care of the kid next to us or anyone really around us. And that's a really basic concept, but it's one that gets thrown out the window pretty quickly sometimes. I, I've clearly been there. Um, so I think if we put our oxygen masks on first, we have to take care of ourselves first or we're not really capable of taking care of others. Barely capable of taking care of ourselves sometimes. And we have so much capacity and potential to be so much more than just surviving. Oh, as, as human beings, as physicians, as leaders. Um, and we have such an incredible impact on those around us, our families, our friends, our communities, but we can't if we're not doing all right. So I think that's the first one. Um, another one I would say is that is this concept of boundaries. And I think for physicians, we really struggle. It's actually really sweet. I've been writing a lot about boundaries lately, and I shared it with my dad, who's uh, 79. I can't remember how old he is. <laughs> He's still a physician, still practicing. And he was like, what is this boundaries thing? I've never heard of it. And I'm like, I know <laughs> you probably haven't, <laughs> right? Like it's not something we learn at all. Um, and certainly generationally, it's, it's, it's a newer thing, um, probably in the newer generations. Um, although the concept's been around since the nineties and it really, it's, it's this concept of what is my, what not mine. I think for physicians in particular, it's like, what is mine and what is my responsibility and what is not my responsibility? Because uh, we're taught from the beginning of medical school and we're young, we're usually in our 20s um, and still developing, right? Wiring in our brains. And we're, we're kind of learn really early on that it's like, everything's our responsibility. We don't say no. And, um, and that becomes really built into our identity and who we are and how we function in the world and how our, we even process emotions at a pretty um, young age, like in our twenties. And then that carries on with us. And I, I do think there's a lot to our, our wellness crisis uh, and burnout crisis now um, because we don't know how to say no. And then our systems around us absolutely um, push us. And will and honestly, everything around us will push us if we don't say no. And so I, I just want to empower people it's not even just saying no, it's like, yeah, no, it's not, that's not my, that's not my, not, that's not my problem, but it's not my responsibility and it's okay too. And in fact, that's actually putting your own oxygen mask on first, because the reality is if we are not saying no and taking care of ourselves, we're going to quit, right? We're going to just, we're going to drop out of medicine. We're not going to be there to help anyone. So it, there, there has to be a limit to what we give um, as human beings. I think those are the two main ones. If I had, is that okay if I just give two? Yes. <laughs> those are those the two are, most important to me. <laughs> yeah, those I think are two so valuable in many ways. It's again, take care of yourself, set boundaries. So you can take care of yourself. So you can take care of others. It's definitely the theme that we started this conversation with. Um, and I think it bears um, 
hearing multiple, multiple, multiple times, because it's something that, as you said, we may not kind of take that in and really live that the first time we hear it. But the more and more we hear it, the more value we see in it, I think can, can really help people start to walk the walk. Well, we learn do no harm, right? When we take the Socratic oath and it's do no harm, sure, to our patients, but we have to do no harm to ourselves first or we're no good to anyone. I agree. I think that's going to be the tagline for our conversation. Tagline. We can do a tagline. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tammy, for being here and um, talking with me. I've got so much out of this. And I think all the folks who listen, uh, I've forgotten about them. They're going to, they're going to get, they're going to get more and more than, and pass this along as well. And I, um, just really appreciate all that you're doing for other physicians. I know we talked a lot about women physicians, but we, we both are uh, advocating for male physicians to have these same uh, boundaries, to have the same self-care, everyone. everyone. And regardless of gender, regardless of of where you live, um, it's just so important to continue to say these things, encourage these things um, and to implement these things for yourself. So thank you again for your time today. And we may be back for round two. It sounds like at some point. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Marion. It's just such a, such a joy every time to connect with you. I'm so grateful to have you. Thank you. Thanks for listening in on this conversation at Reset MD. If you'd like to reach out to us and continue the conversation for well-being, email us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.